baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. All right, Lauren, I want to test something. Tell me the truth. When you were a student, how good a student were you? What was your GPA like? Well, it it never got as low as a blank space, or I wouldn't say it had gone down in flames. And it was close to a 4.0 by the time I was 22. I was feeling really productive during my senior year of college. 4.0, that's impressive. Why did it take you so long? Uh, You know, I think by my senior year, you know, you're deep into your major. So studying is more of a love story than a chore. You know, it's hard to fight when the fight ain't fair like me in a physics class. So so it had nothing to do with the Taylor Swift's Red album coming out at around that same time. I don't want to ruin my Swifty reputation, but I really only started listening to her stuff recently. Still, when I was writing the article that we're looking into today, I I actually started wondering the same thing. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. And by the way, thank you for not asking me about my grade point average. The headline (laughs) that we're looking at was Taylor Swift being the top artist for students with high GPAs, the Smarties, the Smarties (laughs) and the Swifties. Many times they're one in the same. This is based on a survey from College Rover. Can high GPAs and music taste really be connected? So we reached out to Dr. Alexandra Gold, a clinical fellow in psychology at Harvard Medical School and Massachusetts General Hospital, to find out if listening to Swift songs can really contribute to good GPA karma or if the link is delicate. That is Lauren, one of our producers. I hope she stops quoting Taylor Swift before this episode is over. I'm your host, Mike Rogers, and this is Something Offbeat. As far as the Taylor Swift study, there are a lot of different possible explanations that I could come up with off the top of my head. What are you thinking? What's the correlation? So I think when you actually dive into the study and take a look at it, it's a little bit more complex and doesn't necessarily lead to that conclusion. So I'll give a couple highlights. So there's this one section of the study that asks, what are the top genres listened to by students with high GPAs? So there's 14 genres listed, and the first two are instrumental music and classical music and pop and country, which are arguably Taylor Swift genres, are actually seventh and eighth on that list. So then there's a separate question, which is where the Taylor Swift finding came out, which is what is the artist that people with high GPAs listen to most? So that's kind of leaving out all these high GPA performers who are listening to instrumental or classical music, if that is true, that GPA is related to academic or musical preference. Now, since many of Taylor Swift's fans are women and some studies show that women have higher GPAs than men, I also asked Gold if that might have played into the survey results. I think it would be hard to make that conclusion just because of that particular study missing so many variables. Like They didn't assess for a lot of things that you pointed out, for instance. And I think just in general, there's more needed in that study to draw that conclusion. But yes, there has been research that shows that. 
Now, we'll get back to the study in a minute, but I was also interested in asking Gold more about Taylor Swift's appeal. You know, she's been touring around the U.S. this summer, around the world, really, breaking records, causing earthquakes even. This tour, which has gone international, as we said, it's on track to be the highest-grossing music tour of all time. What is her overall appeal from a psychological perspective? I've never seen anything like it. I mean, my daughters loved her when they were in high school and they're both almost 30 now. And they, they still, they just adore her and, and millions of other young women around the world do too. It's so interesting. And I think there's a couple of factors going on. So first, I think it's the songwriting. I think that's something that a lot of people can connect with. They can connect with the stories, the emotions that are part of the songs. And a lot of her fans grew up alongside her. They had those experiences as she did. So that's part of it. I've been going to shows since she was opening up for Rascal Flex. <laughs> Rascal Flatts. So this would be my ninth Swifty show, ninth Taylor Swift show. That's a fan who was gearing up for Taylor's tour dates in Chicago. Now, when I was in high school, I remember fans looking for hidden messages in Taylor's songs and even in her album notes. One of her most speculated about songs, it's called All Too Well, about a bad breakup, is even the subject of a whole course at Stanford University this year. It's just one of the songs Swifties hope she includes on her set list as they wait for her in a sea of sequins and sparkles. Has she ever done a song that wasn't about a bad breakup? (laughs) That's a good question. I think I'm going to be blown away. I hope that she sings Long Live. That's my dream surprise song. Um, But yeah, I'm just really excited. And the thought of standing in line while Taylor's performing, not a chance, they tell me. I didn't want to miss any songs, so I figure I just come today and I'm like in comfortable clothes instead of like my big boots and everything. Then with social media, things like TikTok, Instagram, there's new generations discovering Taylor also growing up with her music. So one piece is the music. I'd say that's a core foundational aspect. I think the second piece is that she really is a role model to a lot of people. She is someone who pursues her goals and her dreams, despite obstacles that might be in the way. And there's there's many examples of this, I think, recently with re-recording her old work and kind of getting ownership back of her art. And then I think the fan community piece is a huge part of the appeal as well. So people have a connection, not just with Taylor, but also with other fans. So don't say um, well, we talk about it all the time. All She'll the send time. me updates. So I'll be like, oh, cool. And then I'll send her stuff. She's like, I already do this. I'm like, okay, well, okay. Early on in her career, I think Taylor is one of the first artists to really use the internet to garner a fan base. And she's done that really well to the point that now her fans have their own community. They're friends with other fans. And there's part of that belonging that really drives people to be fans of her. So many factors. You touched on something there. It's not just her music. It's her cultural image as well. They don't just love her songs. They love her. They do love her. They do. And, you know, something that's really interesting is this friendship bracelet aspect that we've been seeing at at the, the shows. So at the shows, a lot of the fans are exchanging friendship bracelets. And the reason for this is there is a song lyric in one of her songs from her recent album, Midnight's. The song is You're On Your Own Kid, and she talks about friendship bracelets and exchanging those. So her fans essentially created this movement of exchanging friendship bracelets, and they do this at shows with each other. And then you see this with the celebrities also who are attending the shows. It's become this big movement that I don't think Taylor was actually started this. Like This is something that was fan-driven based on something they learned about in her art, and it ties the fans together. It's really interesting. About those friendship bracelets, The Hollywood Reporter said that these bracelets have become an integral part of the era's tour experience. 
One fan brought a gallon-sized Ziploc of them to one of her shows in Chicago, and security guards at the shows have been seen wearing friendship bracelets up to their elbows. Well, it seems a lot cheaper and easier than standing in line for that overpriced merch. True, true. You said earlier that your daughters love Taylor Swift. Do you have a favorite song? Yeah, I like a lot of her earlier stuff. Love Story is a favorite of mine because it's about a girl named Juliet, and I have a daughter named Juliet, so I was always kind of partial to that one. Oh, that's a good reason, and that's a great song. It's a banger. Now, would you listen to it to study? Oh, what did I listen to in college? Well, I think I would would crank up the Victrola and (laughs) put on a 78, and no, actually... I, I honestly, I didn't listen to music when I studied. I was one of those good students that I, I didn't want to be distracted. So I didn't listen to music when I studied. Not that it mattered in the end, but I really didn't listen to music when I studied. I don't remember listening to a lot of music when I studied either. Um, sometimes today when I'm working from home, I, I put on some jazz. I like, like Chet Baker. Um, but I've also, I've actually listened to Swift's Folklore album once or twice while I've been working. Or... 15, 20 times, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Well, Gold has some unfortunate news for you, Lauren, I'm afraid. It's so interesting because when you think about this topic of music and listening to that while studying, the answer is really that no music is best to listen to while studying. Ah, gotta just shake off that urge to listen, I guess. Uh, I see what you did there. All right, now getting back to the survey, Gold was saying that the results are complicated, The problem, though, is there was no separate analysis in this study looking at low GPA. So what are the musical preferences of people with low GPA? What genres do they listen to? What artists do they listen to? So it's really hard to say if this is actually a GPA effect or if this is just, you know, people really like Taylor Swift. She's a highly popular artist. It's just just that a lot of people are listening to her. While the survey publication didn't break down the top artists for people with the lowest GPAs, it did note that people who listened to the metal genre, heavy metal, they did appear to have GPAs on the lower side. I think there is some reason to think that listening to metal would probably not help with uh, school performance. The reason being that it's, you know, louder, it has a lot of lyrics, the tempo changes, the tone changes a lot. All those things add distraction. We'll talk more about what music is or is not good to listen to while studying. But metal is there's a lot going on. It's going to be distracting. What kind of psychological habits are associated with someone having a high grade point average or or high intelligence? If I want to find someone who's really smart, what am I looking for? Yeah. So I think the psychosocial factors we think about, so psychological and social factors here, there are many things. It's multifactorial. It's not one thing, but some of the things that stand out from the research We see motivation, specifically intrinsic motivation. This is when someone is motivated because it's something that's important to them in their heart, something they care about. They're not motivated by grades or rewards. They want to do well just because it's something important to them that they're studying. So that's one aspect. We also see really consistently in the research something called self-efficacy, which is someone believing that they can do something. So if you believe that you can perform in in school and do well, then that can be a predictor of academic performance. I guess if you can envision it, you can make it happen, right? Yeah, it's like having confidence that you can make it happen is one factor, not in isolation. It's one of many. Um, And also we see, you know, if you're having more psychological symptoms, more anxiety or depression that can interfere with academic performance. 
And something that can really also help academic performance is family aspects. So having good family support. We see this parenting style called authoritative parenting, which is a parent who's nurturing, warm and supportive, but also sets clear limits and boundaries in the home, that combination being helpful for academic performance. And then also I would say things like study habits, you know, putting good effort, time into your studying, as well as prior academic performance, predicting future performance. So as far as parenting goes, the ideal parent would be involved, but not overbearing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Supportive, present, setting limits, but not too much. What about the tastes and tendencies? Are there any similarities there among the uh, the intelligent, the high achievers, the high GPAs? No, I think it's more about these other characteristics we're talking about, these psychological and social factors rather than personality traits. And I do think though some of these things we're talking about are aspects of personality and tastes or tendencies, such as self-efficacy, motivation. These are personality features or personal features that can help with academic performance. And one thing we haven't talked about too, there's actually some research that physical fitness and activity can help with academic performance as well. You're a doctor, you're a PhD. I'm assuming that you had a pretty good uh, GPA. Are you a Taylor Swift fan? Oh, absolutely. I'm Mike Rogers, thanking all you Swifties and everyone else for listening to Something Offbeat. This episode written and produced by Lauren Barry and Chris Blake. Audio editing by Chris Blake. Original music by Myron Kaplan and editorial support from Cooper Mall. Now to keep listening, please subscribe to us on the Odyssey app, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. And share your offbeat stories with us because we'd love to hear them. Anything you think we should cover... Send us the story idea to something offbeat at Odyssey. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y dot com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.